Praise God. Well, welcome to, uh, welcome to church and welcome to our series called A Simple Christmas. Uh, we're just going through the Christmas story and looking at each, each individual character. And tonight we're going to learn a whole lot about a couple of um, characters from the Christmas story. You have a, in your bulletin uh, is an insert uh, that, that has uh, Matthew chapter 2, this huge part of the Christmas story on it. And I hope that you will open up to that and uh, pull that out of your bulletin. It's uh, great to be with uh, Midcoast, Life Church Midcoast. Kim and Kevin, we love you guys. All of our friends up there in Midcoast, it's always great uh, to be with you and great to be celebrating Christmas with you guys. It is aw- what an awesome time to be a Christian. All right, so we're in Matthew chapter 2. Hopefully, you're, we're going to re- be, be reading quite a bit there, so hopefully you found those notes and are going to follow along with us. Matthew chapter 2, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is this newborn king of the Jews? Now, obviously, these wise men had showed up to uh, Herod's palace. We're going to read in just a second. They showed up at Herod's place. They obviously were expecting this newborn king to be in the king's palace, but uh, he wasn't there. So we keep reading in verse 2, we saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Well, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He, Herod, called a meeting of the leading priests. Now, this is interesting because Herod, we're going to find out shortly, is a pretty evil individual, but he still has confidence in the Bible. He calls a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law, and he asks them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Isn't this amazing? He wants to find out from the Bible. Here's an evil man, but he has faith in the Bible. They say, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of, uh, you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be shepherd of my people. Then Herod called for a private meeting with these wise men, and he learned from them the exact time that the, the star had appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, When you find him, come back to me so that I can worship him too. What a great guy. Herod just wants to go to church with these wise men, these magi. Isn't that cool? Interesting note here is, again, as evil as Herod was, he has so much confidence in the Bible uh, that he sends uh, these foreign dictators or these foreign dignitaries, I should say, uh, based on the word of the Bible, he has no problem trusting that word and just sending them to Bethlehem. Is it possible to have a, a, a sort of faith that you actually believe the Bible and still be rotten in your heart? Is that possible? Well, he's about to prove to us that that's possible. <clears throat> Verse 9, after this interview, the wise men went on their way. The star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them, and it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to exactly what this star was. Some unbelievers will say, oh, here we, here's another proof the Bible can't be true. You know, there's no way a star can guide you right to a, a house. Well, obviously, this was something supernatural that God was doing. God re- led the Israelites with a pillar of fire all the way from Egypt to the Promised Land. Obviously, this was something uh, supernatural, far beyond just a natural star in the sky that God was doing. But nonetheless, God supernaturally led these men right to where Jesus was. Verse 11, 
They entered the house. They saw the child with his mother, Mary. They bowed down and they worshipped him. Now, that's interesting. They had a little understanding of who he was. They actually worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, here is your main reason to be really fond of these wise men because gift-giving originated right here. They brought, their, they brought these gifts on the very first Christmas, and we've been thankful ever since, right? How many of you guys are hoping that you, you get gifts even topping those? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You're going to top that this Christmas, right? Well, what's some amazing gifts that they brought? Now, you know, at that time, there was a custom that, that leaders would exchange gifts. It's possible, even probable, that when they left, they were expecting a little bit of a a gift exchange. They give their gold and get back, who knows, some silver or something. Um, odds are pretty good that they didn't expect to be led to some shack uh, and see a poor family uh, with a poor child. But as we read earlier uh, in the series, it was very clear that Joseph and Mary were poor. It was pretty obvious that wasn't what these wise men, these magi were expecting. I don't think they were disappointed. Somehow, uh, when God supernaturally led them right to Christ, the Bible says they worshipped Him. They somehow gained some sort of revelation of what God was doing, and they worshipped Christ. Verse 12, when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Interesting, God speaks to them in a dream. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Now, here's interesting. Both Joseph and these wise men both receive revelation from God. He speaks to them through a dream. He speaks to them in the same way. Now, we, all, we hold Joseph in pretty high regard. But obviously, these, quote, wise men, uh, they had a genuine faith of their own. We actually know quite a bit about these wise men. This, the Eastern Empire of Babylon had a, a long history of respect for the God of the Jews. It really started when the Israelites were brought into captivity. And you may remember Daniel, the prophet Daniel, was as a young child brought uh, to Babylon. And because he uh, just had the Spirit of God upon him in such a, a way, he actually became the chief of the wise men. They were called the magicians. They went by different titles, but that's where magi comes from, is just magician. Now, on that day, magician wouldn't be like a magician we think of today. It wouldn't even mean that they were in magic arts. It just meant they were kind of the scientists of the day. And Daniel became uh, the leader of those wise men. This would have been hundreds of years before. Um, you guys remember, probably remember the story of Daniel and the lion's den. You remember that story? You guys do, right? Daniel and the lion's den? Surely. When you're a kid, you got that story, right? One of those awesome stories. Well, interestingly enough, in that story, Daniel was one of the, uh, these, you know, wise men. He'd been promoted to the head of the group by the king, and the other wise men were so disgusted with this that they schemed against Daniel and got him thrown in the lion's den. They kind of tricked the king, got Daniel thrown in the lion's den, and then when God protected Daniel, uh, he, didn't, he wasn't eaten. Well, the king then threw all these other wise men, he threw them into the pit. And he started all over. He started a whole new band of wise men with Daniel as their leader. So it probably isn't a huge mystery that from that time on in these eastern lands that the Jewish scriptures, I mean, it started with Daniel, the Jewish scriptures, he actually wrote one of the books, 
the Jewish scriptures would have been held in pretty high regard. In fact, the, the temple, this is something that I don't know why this doesn't get talked about more, but it's right there in the Bible. The temple in Jerusalem that these wise men would have come to, that they would have all been worshipped at. It wasn't Solomon's temple. That would have been destroyed before. This was the second temple, which actually had been funded by the king of Babylon a few hundred years before. Uh, Cyrus the Great actually funded. Now, if you're willing to give a, a few million dollars towards a building project, odds are pretty good you're pretty invested, Right? Yeah, so again, there was a long history of connection between these, quote, wise men and the Jewish scriptures. They obviously studied. They studied a lot. I, they probably knew the prophecies even better than some of the Jewish leaders. They obviously picked up on some things. Even the Jewish leaders didn't. There's a prophecy in Numbers 24 about a star coming out of Jacob, a scepter rising out of Israel. Well, these wise men, and I'm sure that many of them saw this sign occurring over Israel, uh, but gang, this is a thousand-mile journey that they had to take, so obviously not all of them. I'm sure all of them could have gone, but this is a long and expensive trip. You remember, this was before uh, they had cars or trains, planes, trains, cars, automobiles. This is before any of that. Now, Joseph and Mary, we just talked about the trip they had to take, which was maybe about 90 miles and we kind of built that up like the most ominous trip in the world. Gang, this, these guys had to come a thousand miles. I mean, their trip had been a lot longer and a lot harder than Joseph and Mary's, but they do it. They do it. Nobody forced them to do it. They just saw this sign. They had interpreted the Bible correctly. They saw it, and their heart prompted them to go, and they made a really long, really expensive journey. And how many think they're probably glad they did it? Don't you think, don't you think, wouldn't you rather have that story to tell the rest of your life? Or would you rather have this story to tell? Hey, man, you remember back, remember back when 20 years ago, remember when we saw that star? Wasn't that cool? That star was really cool. Who knows just seeing the star isn't nearly as cool as actually following the star and going on the journey, right? Well, we'll talk more about that in a minute because there's a, a major point there for our own life. But I think it's really cool that they took this long trip. Now, again, we don't know exactly what they were expecting, but we know that when they got there, they worshiped Christ. All right, so let's go back to verse 13 now and uh, just finish this up. Verse 13, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. Now, where do you suppose that, now we know Joseph and Mary were poor. Where did they get the money to leave that night for a long trip to Egypt? Where did they get that? This is not a trick question. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Where do you suppose they, <laughs> you get it? Obviously, I mean, you think, I mean, God is so good. He's providing for everything. He knows what's coming. He's providing for everything. But again, we have a part in that. I mean, God asks us occasionally to take some long, expensive trips, and, and we can say no. But they did it, and they were preparing for Jesus. And you know, every time you give, you are preparing for Jesus too. God needs all of our gifts, and he uses them. And they were used to help Jesus on his very first missions trip to Egypt. Verse 15, they stayed there in Egypt until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. 
I'll call my, call my son out of Egypt. Now, verse 16, Herod was furious. Everybody say furious. Well, that's actually a long story for Herod because Herod was furious a lot. Uh, most of you already know what's about to come, but this, is, this had happened for Herod a lot in his life. He had a long history with being really nasty. He was furious when he realized the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem was very small, so this would have been a very, you know, maybe 20 boys, 25, something like that. So it wasn't, you know, maybe the massacre that sometimes we think of, but that really doesn't make it less vile, does it? It's just shocking what this king allows himself to do. He's, he's out of his insecurity. You know, he hears that somebody's born king, and he just can't handle it. He sends soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of when the star first appeared. Herod's brutal action fulfilled the word that God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. It's almost unbelievable, isn't it, when you read that story to think, how is it possible for somebody to be that far gone, to be that evil, to be that insecure, in your own position, that you're going to kill babies, uh, you know, just to just to guarantee your own security. That is insecurity on a new level. Um, you know, insecurity is a hard thing for all of us. Anybody besides me find a little shred of insecurity in your own heart? We all probably have said some things that we regret. Insecurity has probably caused us all to speak some things we wish we wouldn't have said. It's caused some anger. You realize that probably 90% of the time that we get angry, it's our own insecurity that somehow got stepped on and we just flare up. We rise up to defend ourselves. We have to defend our honor. Well, Herod's insecurity goes so deep. And he, because you heard that phrase that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, Herod had absolute power. The primary difference between Herod and us was he had no rule of law. He feared nothing. And because he feared nothing, gang, he had, this wasn't his first murderous rampage. Out of his insecurity, he had already killed thousands of people before Bethlehem ever came. Thousands of people. Not only that, what shows you the most about Herod's character is he had killed several of his own sons. Or let's be more accurate. He had them killed. When you're king, you don't do it yourself. You, you order the job done. And why would he have his own sons killed? Only as, not all of them. Uh, but he had many wives, of course, but any of those that showed any prominence that the people liked, that as they grew to an age where they could even potentially replace him as king, when he spotted that, he was so freakishly insecure that he ordered his own sons to be killed. That just shows you how deep insecurity can go when it, when it again, when, it, when, it, when power is absolute, when there's no authority over him, Man, he was just evil. You know, people like Herod, honestly, like Hitler, you know what? They have this funny effect on us. They kind of make us feel better about ourselves. They really do. Because we see people like that, and we're like, oh, man, now that is a bad apple. I've never done anything like that. Right? And doesn't that make you feel better about yourself? I mean, sh- I mean, you know, maybe I've been a little bit naughty on rare, rare occasions, but I've never done anything like that. I'm no Hitler. 
That makes us feel a whole lot better about ourselves. People like that, man, they're bad apples. You ever had a bad apple before? I hate a bad apple. Every time I get apples, and I do, I like buying apples. I love apples. But you take that first one, I usually get bags of apples, and you take that first one. They ought to have a rule at the store where you can take a bite out of that apple before you take it home, shouldn't they? Because you, that first bite tells you everything you need to know about that bag. You ever that experience? You take that first apple out, you take that first bite, and you're like, oh, no. This whole bag is mushy. You, anybody with me? But you take that first one out, and you go, and it's perfect. You're like, yes. Has anybody ever had an apple with a worm in it? Anybody? I've seen that before. An apple with a worm in it. You know how that, you know how that happens? You know, we, we, would, we would assume, well, a worm in an apple, it must crawl in, you know, through the stem. Actually, that's not how it happens. A fly lays an egg on the apple blossom, and that worm is born on the inside of that apple. And he eats and poos his way on out of that apple. He makes that apple a mess. And then you bite into it thinking, you know, just, just testing it to see how awesome it is. And you bite into not only a worm, but worm poo. How awesome is that? That little worm is a devourer. Will you say that word? Say devourer. It's a Bible word. A devourer inside that apple. Well, Herod has a devouring worm eating the inside of him. And it manifests itself in murder. Now, Jesus talks to us about murderers one time. Jesus, knowing full well how we all feel better when we see really rotten people, use murderers to kind of help wake us up. Let's turn and go to this first scripture here. Jesus said this, if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. He was quoting Jesus. This was Jesus quoting the Old Testament, saying, you know, getting everybody on the same page. They all were agreeing with him, saying, that's right. Everybody's shaking their head so far. They're like, that's right. That's right, Jesus. But then Jesus said this, but I say, the next verse, but I say, if you, even are, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Now, see, Jesus is trying to introduce a new thought, saying, gang, okay, everybody's shaking their head so far. That's right, Jesus. Murderers, they're evil. But now he's trying to help us identify the worm on the inside of us. If you're even angry with somebody, has anybody in this room ever been angry with somebody? Anybody been angry, like, on your way to church, potentially? I mean, it happens. You're angry. All right, if, if anybody's angry, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. And then he goes a little bit farther. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. You ever called anybody an idiot or, or a similar term? And then he gets a little bit darker. He says, and if you curse someone, Jesus, if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. I wish Jesus would, would just tell it straight, wouldn't you? I mean, he kind of patty cakes around the issue here. Uh, he really doesn't, does he? My goodness. If you curse, he, he's, he's progressively starting with anger, calling somebody an idiot, saying if you curse someone. Now, gang, every, and I mean every, every honest person in the audience where Jesus, Jesus went through this list because every honest person in the crowd, and only honest people would ever respond to Jesus anyways, and every honest person here tonight would look at that list and say, I'm in trouble. Been there, done that. 
I mean, you know, he hooks us with anger. We're like, he gets us going with him. Okay, I've been angry. Oh, yeah, but you know, who doesn't? And then idiot. Well, okay, all right. I said, I, maybe I called somebody an idiot. And then curse somebody. You know, when I, when I read that this week, I just going through this message and just, just read that. Jesus is trying to wake us up to the fact that, you know, you can throw the Bible away if you want, but the Bible says you were born with a worm on the inside of you, that you were. And it's only the Spirit of God that can rebuke that devourer, that can really overcome that. And it's only by your submission to him, and really there's no other way. When I read that this week, I just immediately, and I wasn't trying to think of this, but I was just overwhelmed with my own memories of my own worm. Here's what, what, what came to me. Uh, my worm has manifested itself in my marriage a time or two. I'm embarrassed to say some of those naughty words um, have been spoken. Years ago, year, many, 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 many years ago. Many, actually, it was many years ago. I'd like, I don't think it's been much lately, but nonetheless, I'm never, I just would remember, to see, for whatever reason, as soon as I read this, I, I immediately thought of our wedding. Um, it's kind of funny, but Raquel has told you the story of her father, and he left town just in a, in a rush, and, and she was, you know, still living at home at that time, and he left such a mess that the school actually changed its rules. They had a rule uh, against students being married during the school year, but because they knew Raquel and I were engaged, um, she had no place to go. The school allowed us uh, to get married in the middle of the school year. Actually, it was a Christmas break. They allowed us to get married. So we had nobody there. We were alone uh, in the pastor's office. Um, and again, really, it was kind of, and I think Raquel probably felt this way a little more than I did, but because Dad had left town, I, mean, I think she was planning on marrying anybody, but she was kind of stuck. And she's like, all right, I got to, you know, stay someplace. All right. So, but this is, this is the truth. This is the absolute truth. When they get to the part, it's only me and Raquel in there with the pastor. Uh, when they get to the part of the ceremony where they say, um, do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? Raquel hesitated. She took a breath. She hesitated. And she, she went, and I think she actually put her finger up. And the pastor actually stopped and said, said yes. And, and she, then she, she kind of caught herself and realized where, where she was at and what she was. But she goes, no, no, yes, I do. <laughs> And I asked her later, and sure enough, she had a moment of pause. She really did, right in the middle of our ceremony. Because we, it, was, it was all just kind of, you know, thrown upon us and rushed a little bit. And right in the middle of the ceremony, it was just, uh, she had a little pause. Um, well, that night, I just, for whatever reason, just the whole scenario just came back to me as I was thinking this. And I was thinking that night, I made reservations at this restaurant that, for whatever reason, I thought was awesome. It was a big place. We were the only ones in the pastor's office. We were the only ones in this restaurant. The, literally the only people there. The place shut down within a year. And just kind of a little omen, I guess, of things to come. Uh, I just what do is, wasn't doing a great job picking them. Um, but those worms on the inside of me, man, I went in and I was an insecure kid. And she obviously growing up with her father was insecure and I would love to tell you that I never used that idiot word, but man, that came out of my mouth a few times. It probably came out of her mouth. 
a few times, but it really was so obvious to me that it was all pro- pro- proceeding out of this, this insecurity on the inside of me. I mean, that's just part of the human condition. It is. That, that, that fear, a little bit of insecurity. I think all of us have a little bit more of that, maybe than we're even aware of ourselves. But it's good just, just to be aware of it. And once you're aware of it, you can start getting delivered from it. And, you know, can I just get on my soapbox? And I, you always get to have me give me one soapbox moment every sermon. Do, me, do yourself a monstrous favor and get rid of sarcasm in your life. And that is such a huge part of our culture. We just sarcastically make fun of each other and say things. It's just, it's just cool, right? Gang, we're all a little bit more insecure than we're comfortable admitting. And even in jest, most of those jokes end up cutting a little bit. And here's the truth. There's not one of us in this room that needs to get cut any more than we already are. So let's get rid of sarcasm and just say kind words, right? All right. Well, that our marriage went from there. And let me just give you one little word picture of the first couple of years of our marriage. Every Tuesday was our date night. Every Tuesday... We went to Pizza Hut because that was cheap, and that's where Brian said we were going to go. And we got a meat lover's pizza. It took me two years to find out that she didn't like that pizza. Two years, every Tuesday. That probably tells you a lot, just about a lot, actually. Um, And just from that, you know, she was just willing to follow, willing to go along. But she finally found her voice. <laughs> and we had a lot of struggle. And most, most of you, not everybody in this room, and if you have no, can I identify with what I just talked about, some of those struggle, the, using the word idiot, if you can't even relate to that, God bless you. Uh, the majority of us in here can, because that's a, a relatively normal part of, of the human condition. Maybe that worm manifests itself differently in your life, but... But in us, it manifested that way. And you know one thing I started to do? Um, I actually got a picture. I, and it just had this effect on me the first time I saw it. So I'm like, I'm going to frame that picture and bring it into my office. I was already in ministry. I was in ministry, and I was a jerk. Do you believe that? That it's possible to be a pastor? At, I shouldn't use that word. That's a bad word. And, and naughty at the same time. But I, had, I, found, I saw a picture of my wife when she was three years old. Maybe I'm guessing. I don't know how old she is. I haven't asked her. I'm guessing she was three years old. And she's so innocent. She's in her little jammies. I actually framed it. There it is. I framed it and put it on my desk because, you know what? It had just this interesting effect on me because it just helped reframe my brain. When I was tempted to get angry, I realized, you know what? I'm actually dealing with a pretty fragile little heart. I would look at that picture every day and like, you know what? Obviously, Raquel has matured since then, but her heart is still that little girl. So probably when she says something that I find insulting, you know, that, that's just my own insecurity. And I'm going to talk to her. I'm going to treat her like I would treat that little girl. And that helped me a lot. So some of you might need to get some swap baby photos, right? Maybe that, <laughs> maybe that will help you. All right, but I want to talk to you for just a few minutes. I want to wrap this up about on this topic of overcoming the Grinch, that worm, that insecurity, that sin, that Herod had on the inside that manifests itself in murder. 
that manifested itself in my home in some awful things. I'm just give you three quick things. All right. Number one, if you're going to overcome that worm, that, that evil thing that drove Herod to murder and is going to drove you to call somebody an idiot, if you're going to overcome it, it's a big if. Not everybody does, but if you're going to overcome it, number one, you're going to have to stop believing, quit believing that you're on middle ground. Write that down on your notes. Quit believing you're on middle ground. This is universal. Everybody thinks this. See, in this story, we have these wise men who went on this shockingly long and expensive trip because they, they, they saw the, 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 the star of the Messiah. So that seems like, man, that's way, that, that almost seems like a ditch to us, man. These guys went way too far. And then we have Herod in the other ditch. He's, he's nasty, and these wise men are, you know, they're like way over the top going on a long, expensive trip. We have the solution, though. We're smart, and we're just going to go right down the middle. We're not going to worship extravagantly like those wise men. We don't need to go to any expense. We don't need to stretch ourselves like the wise men did, for heaven's sakes. We'll just be comfortably safe right down the middle. Unfortunately, according to Jesus Christ, there is no middle ground, really. You are either following that star, and Jesus Christ is going to ask you to do some difficult things. You are either going on that expensive trip, or you're going to end up with that worm manifesting itself. You're going to end up ruining something. And I know that, you know, when we think, we think, you know, Pastor Brian, just relax. I don't need to, I don't need to, you know, be radical like those wise men. I don't need to do that, because I'm never going to kill children like Herod, for heaven's sakes? No, probably not. You're probably not going to destroy children, but is it possible that you might destroy some children's potential? I shudder to think, when I think back, when that worm was a little more alive in me, of some of the things I destroyed to my own, my, my oldest son, Brian Jr., he probably, probably got the brunt of me when that worm was alive in me, and I shudder to remember some of the ways I treated him, some of the things I said. Now, I don't think I set any world records for awful parents, but I think all of us probably remember some things. We, any, anybody in here, can I get some help? Anybody in here remember some things you wish you could take back? Am I the only one? Yeah, that, that worm will matter. So probably you're not going to kill children, but if you don't go on that expensive trip, if you don't go to some extremes, you'll probably end up damaging some. You'll probably end up damaging some joy that God intended for your own heart damaging some joy that God intended for your marriage? Is it possible that we would allow that worm on the inside of us to damage the joy in our marriage, damage the joy in our children, damage joy in our home, damage the joy of our Christmas? Is it possible to miss out on a simple Christmas because we are crabby, because we have not dealt with that worm of sin on the inside of us? It's entirely possible. And got to quit kidding ourselves that we're not just fine. We just think, can I just, t- just take one minute? Help, let me just help you identify if, big if. If that thing is still alive, that, that sin is really alive in you, because I've met so many people, they're going to say, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. Okay, my, my kids are kind of angry with me. Uh, my spouse is kind of angry with me, but I'm fine. Back up. Let's back that tape up. Wait a minute. Your kids and your spouse are kind of angry with you, but you're fine. Wow. 
See, that's somebody who's believed that lie of the middle ground for so long. They've, they've believed that their lukewarm water is just fine for so long that they're utterly unaware that that, that anger in their home is shockingly foreign to God's plan. They're, they're a million miles away. They're a lot closer to Herod than they realize. Gang, I'm talking to us. I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to me. We can be in that spot where there's a lot of anger in our home, and we just, hey, this is normal. We're about six inches from Herod, and we don't even see it. So what's our defense? Number one, recognize, quit believing we're on middle ground. Number two, write this down, see the star. Jesus Christ, who came on Christmas, we recognize he is the star, and he has risen. So we get it. Salvation is through Christ. It is by grace. Let's be clear. It is by grace. It is saying yes to him. He is the one by his spirit who goes in and roots out sin. Let's be clear. But do you guys remember the story? We just read it. You remember the story? Is that what the wise men did? Did they just see the star and say, and they, and they just talk about it? Did they write in the oracle, we saw the star? Is that what they did? Maybe they wrote, but they didn't just see it. They followed it for a thousand miles, and when they got there, they opened their treasure chest and unloaded some gold. Number three is this. Go on the expensive journey. It's called your life. It's called the life of faith. It's called following the star, and it's going to be expensive, and you are, we, I am, we kid ourselves. Am I the only one who always thinks I can get something cheaper? Is that just me? I, th- I always think I can find oh, I can find the same thing for half of that. And you end up getting some piece of junk that falls apart. It, you can't cheapen it. You just can't. Jesus Christ, yes, his salvation is free. Absolutely. But from that moment, he asks us, he starts asking us to follow him. Like, get in the tub. I mean, even that seems like it's costly. But pretty much everything he asks us to forgive our spouse you ever had to do that when it seems like it costs you? It would be a, a million dollars seem cheap compared to that. It's just to forgive. To give everything he asks us. I, I really prayed this week. I just prayed. Let me just pray for you right now. I'm not wrapping up. Don't get so encouraged. Let me just pray for you. Because only the Holy Spirit can help you interpret that for you. I guarantee you. If you are going to overcome that worm on the inside. If you're going to overcome Herod's worm because you were born with it too, it's not going to come cheap. And only the Holy Spirit can show you what does that mean for you. Maybe it means that you're going to have to invest in your marriage in a way you never have before. You haven't even come close to it. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some energy. You're going to have to actually change your calendar a little bit. For some of you, And this is one that I'm just asking all of you. Let me ask you a really simple question. Do you have a devotional time where you're getting at least 15 minutes a day in the Word of God? Do you you have 15 minutes every day of your life that you spend with God? Gang, if we're not, and if we're not, there's one reason. To us, that's too expensive. I don't have that much time. Can I help you? We're kidding ourselves. We are so kidding ourselves to think that I'm going to overcome that, that nasty worm without spending any time with God every day. Yes, salvation is free. The star appears free of charge, and then it starts moving. 
starts moving. And he says, let's go. And you can sit there, and you can, you can, you, for your whole life, you can sit there and talk about, oh, salvation's free. I'm saved. I'm nasty as hired, but I'm saved. Hallelujah. You've got to follow. Let me just pray for you. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name for every one of us. That expensive journey might mean something different. What does it mean? What does it, Holy Spirit, help personalize that to each one of our hearts? What does that mean? If our Christmas is going to be awesome, if our home is going to be awesome, if our heart is going to be full of joy, if there's anger and bitterness in there, God, we're going to have to follow. And it may be hard. Help us to see what it means. Help us to see what, what price are you asking us to pay. What is it? Just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just mention one uh, thing about that expensive journey. Because for a lot, and with God as my witness, I'm sharing this for your benefit. As a pastor, I talk to a lot of people, and there are a lot of people, a lot of good Christian people, who, are, who live with financial fears, financial stress. They're overwhelmed. Would you look at your notes? Look at that scripture there in your notes. There's actually only one place in the Bible where God says that he will rebuke the devourer for you, that devouring thing. Malachi 3.11, under number 3, do you see it there? God says, I will rebuke the devourer for you. Does anybody know where that is, what that's in reference to? It's in reference to tithing. Tithing is part of a long, expensive journey. It's long. It's your whole life. It's your whole life. It's your whole life recognizing. Tithing is saying, God, my whole life is a gift from you. It's all yours. All of it. 100% is yours, not 10%. And tithing is saying, God, to prove I'm going to obey you. To prove that I actually believe this is all yours. I'm going to take a tenth of everything that you bring me. Everything. God, if you bring me a billion, I'm going to give you a tenth of that. If you bring me a hundred, I'll give you a tenth of that. You're kind of coaxing him to give you a billion, you understand. That was supposed to be funny, by the way. Um, but gang, this is part of that long, and what appears to our brain to be an expensive journey. But let's just be honest. At the end of the day, staying is a lot more expensive. Had those wise men just stayed, they wouldn't have been called wise men, would they? Had they just, they'd seen the star, ah, Jesus. It's free, absolutely, you're right, salvation's free. But if they had never followed and taken that long, expensive journey, they would have missed out on all the fun. We wouldn't be talking about them today, would we? In our own life, I know we think we can, we think we can get, do it cheaper. I don't need to tithe. I don't need to do that. I can come buy it cheaper. I can find God's protection cheaper. I can rebuke that devourer cheaper. I can get it cheaper. I'm on the middle ground. I'm okay. All right. All right. At the same time, I ask you, just, just look in your own heart. Look in your own home. Are things being devoured? If they are, I would challenge you to ask God that question. God... Where is that expensive journey? What is it? Where is the star leading me? And wherever it's leading, I'm gonna, I'll pay the price. Whatever it is, God, whatever you ask, I'm going to go, I'm going to do it. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? God, thank you, thank you, thank you. Jesus Christ, you are the star. You are the Savior of the world, and you are risen, and we see you. We do. And Lord, I pray, God, I pray for every one of us. I pray for myself. God, I don't want to just see the star. I want to follow. 
I want to be one of those few that are willing to do whatever you say. Whatever you say. Lord, personalize that to our hearts. Whatever that means to each one of us individually. Lord, we want to be free from that devour. We want to live in your joy. We want to follow and do whatever you say. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody says?